Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today for Monday, May the 30th. Great to have you in with us. Well, three days until the provincial election. We'll talk with our friend and colleague Alan Carter about some of those aspects and get into protests over the weekend. Jagmeet Singh was confronted by a large group of protesters outside uh, a Brampton constituency office. And Doug Ford had someone jump on the stage in London, accuse him of trying to privatize health care. And he was taken away, the protester, not Doug Ford. So these are issues. We're starting to have more and more of these occurrences. And it's worth asking questions as to why. And if we can't figure out why, how we solve it in the meantime. All that's coming up on Toronto Today, which starts now. Let me start here with uh, with Doug Ford. Now, Doug Ford is going to be um, the premier of the province after Thursday night. But there's a lot of minutia, and I love digging into the numbers and the election stuff uh, and whatnot. I love that stuff. So um, Doug Ford's likely going to win a majority government. He's potentially, and the uh, Ontario PC is going to have more seats than, uh, well, A, than was thinkable or possible at this time last year. He's going to win more seats with less of a percentage of the vote than the Ford Tories had in 2018. Um, things are really, really interesting in that in that capacity. Let's put it that way. But uh, he was heckled on stage by a protester about private health care in London, Ontario. I grew up in London. We're pretty, pretty law abiding. I mean, I might have I might have thrown a rock at a streetlight once, but I generally speaking, we obey the laws in London. And when you go to a rally, there's you're there, you're the audience. And the people on stage are the people that are on stage. Never the two shall meet. But that's not how a protester felt in London over the weekend. Here's how it sounded. You're privatizing our health care. You need to be honest with us. Yeah. Friends. Friends. <laughs> Friends. <laughs> I don't know how many times he said friends after that. I do know the gentleman who uh, accused him of privatizing health care was uh, jostled off stage. You're not going to hear me complain about that. That's not your stage. That's not your moment. OK, if we're going to play this uh, game where we don't play political favorites and I try not to, that's not your moment in time. Have a conversation with him after. Doug Ford handled it the right way. He didn't get all smug. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't kind of PMJT. Thank you for your donation. He wasn't screaming after at the guy. And the guy jumping on stage had his phone out. He wanted a little bit of interaction. You don't know whether he's got a phone and you don't know whether he has a weapon. And you don't know who else is on is planning to come on stage with that person. So security's got every right. And I applaud them for hustling him off. Oh, my goodness. We'd say exactly the same thing if that same dude had had uh, accused Andrea Horvath, jumped on stage and said, you are keeping our health care too public. We'd have jostled him off stage in a big hurry. By the way, we can't. I don't think Doug Ford's doing that necessarily. We can't get that lucky. We can't get the benefits of uh, of some elements of two tier. Our system is broken and shattered, and it's this ghoulish scare tactic used by the opposition to talk about both parties, to be perfectly honest, to talk of there would be some major efficiency advantages of privatizing some aspects, but we don't even have that conversation. We don't even have a proper debate about it. What if some of our administrative costs were lower? Because that's what happens in the United States. 
what if the insurance companies had better bargaining power to get better rates for you? Okay, would that be good? Well, they're able to keep medical costs much lower, okay, as a result of that in some cases. There wouldn't be a brain drain down to the United States. I mean, I could keep going as to why we could utilize some conversation and debate about privatized health care. But that guy's wrong. We can't, we aren't even close to that fortunate. Did you watch what happened during the uh, COVID pandemic? The U.S. healthcare system has way more hospital beds per capita than our government-dominated Canadian system does. And I don't want the American market-driven system. Let me say that. But we've restricted hospital capacity, earning capacity for doctors and nurses because we won't even have a conversation about privatizing anything. We won't, okay? And uh, U.S. states are pretty, they, they got to be open for business a lot longer than all of our biggest provinces, including the one you're in and I'm in right now, were. Now, there's a big juxtapose here towards protests because there was one on the weekend involving Jugmeet Singh. We talked about it two and a half weeks ago. He was in Peterborough and he got treated terribly there. He walked out of a con- uh, constituency office, uh, a prospective NDP MPP, and he was accosted. I never saw him physically get touched, but there was enough yelling and screaming and middle fingers. I didn't pick up racist language. I didn't, to be honest, but I uh, it, it was rude. It was unbecoming. It was threatening. It was a bit of a mob scene. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. This happened in Brampton also over the weekend. Jugmeet Singh was appearing along with other provincial candidates. Now, he says he wasn't phased by this, but this is the sound of him campaigning and then leaving the Brampton West campaign office. And yes, you can make out some of the words here. We got questions. Okay, a lot of that happening. I mean, honestly, I thought it was a Maple Leafs goaltender getting into a car uh, for many of the Brian Burke years after and the, and the John Ferguson Jr. years. That's what I thought was happening there leaving uh, the Air Canada Centre, as it was known back then. Group of people yelling at Singh gets into a dark-colored SUV. We got questions. Don't sell out. A lot of, a lot of calling him bro, okay? So uh, Singh has had protesters. This is the problem where we're at right now is I don't know what this is. I watched this happen the way it's supposed to happen in the United States yesterday, where people actually get to speak, get to show up. You can be off-site. There were people chanting at the president of the United States and his wife, Dr. Jill Biden. So they're chanting at the president and Dr. Jill Biden, do something, do something regarding gun laws, regarding saving lives. They're at the memorial at this school in Texas. And the concept is let's chant. So let's let them know we're there. And that's fine. What didn't happen was you didn't get people running up to Joe Biden, screaming at him in his face or his wife. Why? What makes them different? And I'm not saying that's universal among American political protests. Far from it. The Vietnam War was stopped by people being aggressive, getting in the face of politicians. I think a bunch of college kids stopped the Vietnam War a little late, but they stopped it. I really believe that. And this but this kind of political discourse, this is no good. It's no good. Somebody jumping on stage and 
uh, and trying to videotape Doug Ford and get him into little tete-a-tete. That's no good. What happened in Jugmeet Singh in Peterborough looked worse than what happened in Brampton, but the outcome's the same. You're getting somebody running into an SUV and taking off and hightailing it out of there. There wasn't conversation. We'd have seen that on the video if it was. Let's let people speak. This is still Ontario. Pretty proud to live here. Don't want to live anywhere else. Ford Security had every right to hustle the guy off the stage and go hands-on. Absolutely they did. Is this the worst of us when we have people jumping on stage where the premier is? You wouldn't like that if that was Andrea Horvath. You wouldn't tolerate that if uh, if that was a uh, another candidate. But for some people that don't like Doug Ford, I know there was a big thing outside the uh, outside the debate a couple weeks ago. And there was a nurse that looked like, you know, they were shoved to the ground, a male nurse. That's that sucks. That's terrible. But there were clearly people there. And I'm not saying he's one of them there to make some noise, bang some bodies around a little bit, cause some trouble. Of course there were. That's not that's not the public discourse that we need. And I'm no moralist. I don't I understand getting loud. I understand getting up and and saying what you need to say sometimes. But you just heard two examples of it where it, it's it's less than w- what we deserve from our public discourse, okay? And we're not getting the best of politicians when we do those things. Alan Carter uh, joins us now. Uh, he's he's basically uh, 640 Toronto's James Bond. There's just, just no other way to put it. <laughs> International man, better James Bond than Austin Powers. Um, I mean, I think there's, you know, the one's a little, got a little more dignity than the other one does. <laughs> and I, li- I like a martini early in the morning, too. That's right. Well, you'll be having one Friday morning after a Ooh, nonstop yeah. election coverage covering all the uh, all the areas. We've got our uh, our coverage that we'll simulcast here on 640 Toronto, but you'll be on uh, Global News with uh, Farah Nasser. Um, what what kind of week do you expect this week? All the promises have been made, right? And, and I don't think there's any. There's no, you know, secret stories. There's no big revelations. I don't know that there's any more dirt that can be dug up. I, I just feel like we're kind of, kind of like limping to the finish line here by by a Thursday. What's your thought? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think concerning for progressive voters is the fact that the, the animosity between the liberals and the NDP from last week is really amped up. That's what I will be watching. You know. Uh, Stephen Del Duca had some pretty nasty things to say about Andrea Horvath last week in the wake of uh, one of his candidates having to drop out. Um, and so I, I think that's, it's just going to kind of get nastier. I think, it, I think you're going to see kind of more shots being thrown between uh, the liberals and the NDP. And then Doug Ford just kind of skating and, you know, kind of sleepwalking his way towards Thursday. Every poll I've seen, Alan, and I know you've talked about them on uh, on the show at noon, seems to be less of a popular percentage of votes and yet more seats because the liberals, obviously, the, the train was coming for Kathleen Wynne and her government in 2018 after 15 years. That's not the case now. They're not going to have seven seats. The question is how many more, but so many ridings are. Uh, I, I picture the liberals and NDP as being offensive linemen, almost clearing the hole for the conservative candidate to run right up the middle of the field and get the first down or the touchdown. That's what it looks like. <laughs> Quite an analogy, really. Is, is there anything that doesn't remind you of football? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it just, it seems that there hasn't been anything that has moved the needle over the course of the campaign. You know, talk to the Daryl Bricker, our mm-hmm. pollster extraordinaire, you know, he says like from the, you know, from the writ drop to here, there hasn't been 
a bunch of shifts. And that's usually we see some kind of momentum one way or the other. Keep in mind in 2018, the NDP in the early going, they were leading in the polls and then Ford kind of came, you know, came on strong and obviously won. This has been Ford out in front in majority territory from before the writ drop to right to today. So it, it'll, it'll be interesting. I don't know if there's anything that's going to move anything in the last couple of days. Alan Carter's our guest. You can hear him today. Alan Carter radio program, 12 to one right here on 640 uh, Toronto. What's a good result for Stephen Del Duca and is a really bad result. Um, a certain number of seats below that and also not winning his own riding. He's in a coin flip race in a really tough riding uh, for him to win. This uh, Every poll I see as well uh, looks like it's uh, nothing's assured for him in that riding. Yeah, I, it, it, it's, it's possible that they could do pretty well, you know, get into the mid-20s in terms of seats, maybe, maybe even beat the NDP. That seems a little tough to actually get back into second place and be the official opposition. But he could do all that and still not have a seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how he holds on to leadership. With but that would be his second consecutive defeat in Vaughn, and you could say, okay, well, you know, he'll still hold on. You know, he'll run in the next by-election wherever that might be. But he's so tied to Vaughn. He's so specific about this is this is my community. This is where I want to run. And if you can't win where you live, where you don't, if you've got no hometown advantage, I don't know how you hold on as leader. I don't know either. I, and and I'm, I'm going to say this. I think the conservative uh, ads have done a really good job tying him to Kathleen Wynne. And it's it's I, it's probably it, Del Duca cringes when he sees some of the video. They're laughing uproariously here and laughing uproariously there. Um, and I'm sure maybe that'll happen for for, you know, campaigning against the conservatives post Doug Ford someday. But you can really hang a millstone around a neck with an unpopular leader. The conservatives took forever to recover uh, in a way from the Mike Harris, Ernie Eves years, obviously, in elections like it. It can be done. And it's it just is so recent for so many Ontarians still, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, it's still a powerful thing in to, you know, to all of the, the video of them together and trying to, you know, trying to link them to the feelings about the liberals. Uh, you see this in elections time and time again, you know, sometimes you think, you know, like, is Justin Trudeau still trying to run against Stephen Harper? What year is it? Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that here, and, and, it, and there is still the after effect. There's still the after effect of Bob Ray. <laughs> You know, yeah. that's still out there. You see the, the conservatives hammering the NDP on that. Like, oh, you know, oh, they were a disaster before. They'll be a disaster again. I mean, that kind of messaging. So the conservatives are sort of playing on that for both the liberals and the NDP. If either party decides, if either party decides, you know what, we do need a fresh face, fresh voices leader. Obviously, this is Andrea Horvath's fourth selection. It's it's Del Duca's first. Mitzi Hunter ran against Del Duca. Kate Graham out of London is trying to get a seat. Um, she wouldn't have had a seat in, in Queens Park either. And Michael Coteau out of Don Valley East. Are there obvious, obvious candidates like Dalton McGinty was Ernie Eves was an obvious successor to uh, to Mike Harris. Dalton McGinty's ascension was also pretty obvious when he won the convention. Are there names on either the liberal or NDP side you look at and you go, well, it's probably that person's turn. That is going to be a conversation we're going to be having on Thursday night. And it's one of those weird ones where, you know, we're trying to figure out, like, you know, does Andrea Horvath, can, can she hold on if she's not premier? I mean, regardless of what, I mean, even if she gains more seats, I mean, if she can't, get over the finish line and they're for it. So then you start thinking, okay, who is in the party who might, you know, might look at running if that's what they do. And names like, you know, Sarah Singh, Peter Tobbins, uh, 
uh, Gurnathan Singh, uh, Jagmeet Singh's brother. Like those are the names that are kind of getting bandied about for the NDP. As for the Liberals, I think you you mentioned the two that I think would be interested in running again: Kate Graham in London. She's going to have to win her seat. Mm-hmm. Mitzi Hunter in Scarborough, who won by less than a hundred votes, I think, last time. So she's got to win too. Like that's the key. You got to be able to win to to at least give yourself some profile to try and run mm. if there is a leadership convention. we got three days left, and then uh, we'll be watching you guys on uh, on uh, Thursday night and uh, airing it right here on 640 Toronto. Okay, take care. Today's uh, quiz, the French Open is going on right now. Uh, I watched uh, Felix uh, lose in five sets to Rafa Nadal yesterday. He's 21 and Rafa's 36. That's a little bit emasculating, losing gourds to someone a decade and a half older than you. Well, I yeah. think it is. I know he's an all-time great. Yeah. He's but the still, king of clay, apparently. But you gain knowledge but as you get older. You do. That's true. You do. But Paris is a beautiful, beautiful city, and we thought, why not a quiz about Paris? And we have Parisian Ooh, music. Yes. Oh, here we go. Which I- just booked a trip to Paris. Good what? gracious. I did, I did. Is it for the show to do live <laughs> No, shows? but I'm up for that. Let's go. Let's All pitch right. it to chorus. Um, are we sure this isn't Venice music? Is this gondola music or is this, this Paris is, cafe uh, music? French I cafe. Can't... Accordion, romantic, French music, jazz, and bossa nova. Oh, you think so? Um, All right. So we'll ask you four questions about Paris. This is lovely to play along at home in the car. Just pull the car over by the side of the road. Your boss will wait. Paris is the 10th most populated city in Europe. That's the fact. I'm going to give you four cities. Only two of them are more populated than Paris. So I'm going to give you four European destination cities. Only two of them have more people than Paris. Barcelona. Kiev. Berlin, Warsaw. Barcelona, Kiev, Berlin, Warsaw. Gord, let's start with you. Two of them have less, two of them have more. Right. I want the two that, that are more populated than Paris. Um, I'm going to go with Barcelona and Berlin. Barcelona and Berlin. Sheba? Warsaw and Berlin. Warsaw and Berlin. Yeah. Dave? Hi. Um, I, I was going to go with Gord on yeah. this one, so I was going to say Barcelona and Berlin. Nobody got it. Some of you got uh, half uh, marks. I'm uh, I was a generous mood today. Maybe we'll give you a little little plus next to the grade. Berlin and Kiev. Kiev, really? Yeah. Shocked that Kiev. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Given how much it's been prominent in the news, I would never yeah. have said Kiev had more hmm. more residents in the downtown wow. area than Paris. I would never would have said that. Wow. One of these. This music's really mellow, by the way. Yeah, it is. It doesn't quite. It's quite fit nice. The tone of the. Feel like a baguette. Yeah, I think it's it's relaxing. Sometimes the show's a little loud. Maybe we should all calm down a little bit. Yeah, sometimes I don't know. Get to the polls, everybody. I think so. Yeah, just go out and vote. <laughs> don't don't protest. Stop yelling at all these leaders when they show up. Yeah. Just trying to be just nice. Slap to some you. tape on your mouth. That's right. Or or theirs. No, don't do that. That's illegal. Nope. Get yeah. consent yeah, first nope. before you tape somebody else's mouth yep, closed. Yeah. Okay. One of these three attractions is the most visited in Paris. One of these three, the Louvre. Did I say that right? The Louvre, yes, yeah. you did. You said it better than I just said it. The L Museum, whatever it's called. The L-O-U-V-R-E Museum. <laughs> the Louvre. That's right, the Louvre. The Louvre. Rhymes <laughs> with a vacuum company. The Eiffel Tower or the Notre Dame Cathedral. Which oh. one is the most visited in Paris? Sheba. Well, I'm, my gut tells me the Eiffel Tower, but I think that's the obvious one and it's wrong. But I'm going to go with it. Okay, Dave? I'm going to say the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral. Gord. I gotta go with, with the Louvre. No, it's the cathedral. Dave, oh, Ned, Dave's yeah. got it. Wow. I yeah. guess since the fire too, maybe it's yeah. I want to see it. Too. That's right. Well, yeah. and yeah. I, and you, you have to think a lot of 
folks who are religious will want to be there. That's true. So, yeah. That's true. Yeah. These people and their organized religions. <laughs> um, speaking of the Eiffel Tower, which is where this band filmed the video there for a number one single in the year 1985. 1985. This band filmed the video exclusively there, and the song went to number one. Was the band Tears for Fears, Simple Minds, Duran Duran, or U2? Dave. Duran Duran, maybe? Sheba? Oh, U2. <laughs> and uh, Gord? Tis Duran Duran. For yeah. the only James Bond song to go to number one. Yes, it's a view to a kill. Yeah. Really? Is the, is the, that yeah. was the only one to go number one? Yeah. That's the only Duran Duran number one. Oh, no, and no, the no, only no, Duran Duran number one single also. No, sorry. It didn't go number one. Um, Why are you it, lying about it then? No, I, I was oh. mistaken. Okay, sorry. It went number one for that, but not for James Bond. It was, I think it was uh, Aha or something. No, something that weird. song didn't go to number it's something one. Something weird. Let's look that up. Okay. Before it sounds Where's the tape? Who's got the painter's tape? And Paris is the second <laughs> second most visited world city. I'd never have gotten number one. What's the most visited world city on the planet? I'm not going to give you a hint. We'll go around, play hot potato until somebody gets it. Let's start with you, Gort. Most visited world city. Right. Um, Tokyo. No. Okay. Uh, Dave. New York. No. Shiba. Hong Kong. No, you're on the right side of the world, though. You're oh, okay. on the right side of the world, Gordon. So if I said Cleveland, I would be wrong. Yeah, okay. it's not. The Rock and Roll Hall <laughs> great. It's not enough. And it's not enough. Uh, Cleveland Browns are not enough. Vietnam? That's not a country and not a city, but okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> We're just playing along here. Shiva? Um, Delhi? No, you're, you're closer even geographically now. It starts uh. with, Dave starts with a B. Uh, Beijing? No. Bombay? No. Shiva? A B. From the musical chess, One Night in Blank. Oh. Shiva. Gord knows it now just because of <laughs> speaking of 1985. Oh, I, I know, know it. you know this. I don't. Come you on, Shiva. Do. You can do yeah. it. The guy has so much pressure. We, want, we want you to get it. I already said a country instead of a city. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know it. Okay. Is it in Asia or Europe? Uh, it's in Asia. It's in the Far East. It borders Cambodia. Oh my God. The country. <laughs> I'll take Somebody the... jump in here. Help me out. Dave? I don't know it. Gord, Ask a me. friend. It's Bangkok. It's Bangkok. Oh, really? I was shocked at that. I am no. shocked. And I would so, have never guessed that. That's yeah. not fair to you guys, but I'm shocked. It's the most toured no way. country no on way. the planet. And Paris no. is second. Is it because and of London song? is third. Wow. Okay, yeah. I'm just going to put this out there. A lot of guys I know who go through a divorce, they book a trip to Bangkok oh, right after fantastic. their Fantastic. Oh, well, well, just just the beaches, just to get some sun, I think is why you're referencing. That's right. Of yeah, course. Yeah. Just what, maybe the, so they spend more than one night in Bangkok, Gord. <laughs> Eight nights in Bangkok. The Shanghai lockdown, we've talked about it a few different times. Uh, there is a end in sight, so it may seem. Uh, there's plans to lift some of the measures imposed on businesses from Wednesday. But what's it like living there? We've talked about it a million times. I want to bring on Rachelle Luau, uh, originally from Toronto. She's living in Shanghai with her husband and three children. She joins us on uh, on Zoom right now. Rachelle, thank you very much for making the time. Uh, I know we're, uh, we're headed towards uh, later in the evening, so I appreciate you making it for me. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So um, just today we actually got freed. So we went out, we bought pizza from Domino's, 
and uh, we were actually able to to go out to the park, although the play area was blocked off. Um, this is the first time we've been out of our compound in 81 days. I cannot believe that. I can't believe that. Um, must be surreal. And we're we're getting you a at a good time, and b um, what were what were some of the the difficult points of those 81 days? When do you just start to lose your brain? Honestly, about the third weekend is where everyone noticed that it gets really it gets really mentally tough. That's the toughest week, the third weekend. Um, we uh, when we went into lockdown, my son's friend from school was over that evening at our house to play, and they didn't tell us we were going into lockdown. We had zero warning. My husband went to come home from work at about seven thirty p.m. and he called me and he said. Um, our compounds locked down. I can't get in. I said, well, I guess if you get in, you're, you're going to be locked down too. So he had to make the choice whether to come in or stay out. And he chose to come in, but, uh, it, we were told it would be a 48 hour lockdown because neighbors of ours were close contact with somebody who tested positive. And I guess they were in the same vicinity. And um, so they locked down our building. And the day that our building was supposed to be released, our entire compound went into lockdown. And the day our compound was supposed to be released, our entire district went into lockdown and then all of Shanghai. So um, it's been quite quite a whirlwind thinking that you're going to be released after four days and it turns into 81. Rosella Luo is our guest uh, joining us in Toronto today. Uh, when did you move to Shanghai and, and what, what took you there? Um, well, my husband is Shanghainese, but uh, we moved here exactly 10 years ago. And uh, originally to do our Chinese wedding, we thought we'd stay a couple of years, but we ended up staying for 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> time flies you know, when you're happened. having a great time. <laughs> What, yeah, it was so fun until now. <laughs> what, 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 the, the biggest things beyond, um, yes, the mental and emotional bandwidth, uh, that, that you struggle with, and I'm oh. sure your kids as well, is, is the sustenance. It's just, just food. Forget about medical appointments. Forget about oh, going Lord. to the pharmacy. Could, were you able yeah. to handle, uh, meals and making sure everybody was getting what they needed for 81 straight days? Well, the problem was our district went into lockdown and, uh, the, the West side district, they had a five day warning. So basically they went and panic bought everything. So we were without vegetables for a couple of days. We had a few meals that were just a chicken that we had in the fridge. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was kind of tough. And then the government started handing out rations. Uh, we had, we got about six, six times we had food delivered, but most of them were quite rotten and mm. not edible. Um, but, uh, you know, because I have some connections, I was able to get some foods that we needed. Um, it was interesting. We made some really interesting meals. <laughs> we were very creative with what we had in the pantry, <laughs> but, um, no, it was crazy. And the day that we went into lockdown, as I mentioned, my, my son's friend was over at our house. Uh, he had never been to someone's house for a sleepover. The boys are nine years old, never been to mm. a sleepover. And it turned into a nine day sleepover before they would release him and let him go back to his mom. 
Wow. Well, that's a good test of friendship at a young age is spending uh, nine, <laughs> nine overnights in a row. Um, I'll, I'll tell yeah. you, I'll, I'll tell you from my uh, personal side, my wife's a, a sports journalist, so she came over for the Olympics. So she was over for a good 21, 22 days, obviously, in Beijing. But the stress, the, mm-hmm. there's the stress of getting there, getting through the airports and whatnot. When the Olympics were on, was that any different? Because obviously they didn't start to lock down Shanghai until well after the Olympics were over. But but actually about a month or so afterwards, did that seem like maybe that would be the beginning of a normal existence in, in China after the Olympics? Because the Olympics went well, but we were kind of skeptical over here going, are they really like suggesting there's that no one would test positive? Are they really testing everybody every day? Like, how did you view it? Yeah, we definitely thought it we were in the clear for sure and um although during the time of the olympics the restrictions got a little heavier because uh mm. we were still wearing masks in malls and everything but um most of the malls people didn't really care if you wore them or not but then during the olympics they were really enforcing masking and uh social distancing and things like that um but uh we thought you know after the olympics everything would be back to normal again and you know, it gradually just went into the hardcore lockdown. I was in Canada during 2020 because we left in February 2020 um, because Canadian government recommended, especially people with children, to go back to Canada. Mm-hmm. So we went and I was in Canada for most of the lockdowns there, well, all through 2020. And I can tell you it was nothing compared to locking no. down here. That was like not even a lockdown, in my opinion. We were still allowed to go out to a trail or hiking or, you know, you could go have a coffee beside your friend's car (laughs) and, uh, you know, you could still go out and drive your car and go to the grocery store. Here, we weren't allowed to leave our apartment for half of the lockdown, around 40 something days. And uh, we weren't even allowed to leave our apartment. So with little kids and, oh, it was mentally, it was, it was a mental it was it was hard. <laughs> how how is your how is your opinion about the virus itself evolved as a mother uh, as a partner when you look and you say we're we do a lot of things here. I started to hear the phrase and started to use the phrase on the air hygiene theater, and that was probably two three months in. By summer oh. twenty twenty, it felt like we were doing a lot of things that didn't make sense that they w- would be making a difference. And we'll still walk into stores. You'd be shocked in Toronto where. There's plexiglass and there's like hanging barriers and you're going, I'm not sure this is doing a damn thing, but, but it's convincing some people when we locked down the outside here in Ontario, well, I saw a preponderance of masks grow because of the government saying, Hey, it's not safe to be outside. Guess what? A certain percentage of the population will believe it. And, and you're probably amidst that right now where you are. Oh yeah. There, if you want to see theater, oh my goodness, just Google search, uh, um, Shanghai lockdown, uh, and they're there. They've got all these guys in white suits and, and women, mm-hmm. uh, walking around the streets, spraying disinfectant in the middle of the road where there's nobody even there. It's, it's ridiculous. Thanks for listening to Toronto today. Back with another live show tomorrow on the last day of May on the 31st. You can listen to it on 640 toronto.com or check it out on the radio player Canada app. And as always, thanks for listening.